Well, today we are continuing that sermon series, You Asked For It, where people from the pews have submitted uh, scripture passages and themes that you want us to preach on. And so far, I've really been enjoying it, and I think we will do this again in the future. And in fact, I really like the serendipity in the fact that two weeks ago, having been asked to preach on Revelation, the sermon title was, The End? Question mark? And today's sermon title which is somewhere up here, is the beginning, question mark, because someone asked about the creation stories in uh, the book of Genesis and imposed the question, as Christians, as people of the Bible, should we hold to creation, or is there a place for evolution? How should we think of our beginnings? And this is where we come to that passage at the very, very beginning of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, in the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When we come to ask about creation, we turn to the first three chapters of the Bible. Now, Remember that the Bible that we read has close to 1,200 chapters in it, and only three really wrestle with the beginning with creation. And we know that these three Bible stories, these three chapters are two different stories of creation, and they don't necessarily line up perfectly. So here in chapter 1, this first story of creation is told, we would say, from a God's eye view. It's told from a God who is distant from us and speaking the creation into being. And, and uh, we, in this first story, hear of God creating in seven days. Now, we have to remember that seven is one of those biblical numbers like 40, which doesn't always mean exactly that number. It means whatever time is appropriate for God to do what God needs to do. So does seven days mean 24 hours? Does it mean seven milliseconds? Does it mean seven billion years? We don't know because we live in time. God is eternal. God is timeless. 
and we can't begin to understand what it would have taken God to create the universe. So we have this first story that tells us about God's creation. And then we move into chapters 2 and 3, and we get a very, very kind of different creation story. It is told uh, from the perspective of a God who is with us. This is a God who walks in the garden in the cool of the evening with the people. This is a this is a God who creates the human beings and other things after it. In the first story, of course, the, the last thing created is the human being. So we have these two stories that don't perfectly align. They don't tell creation in the same way. And one of the things that we have to remember is that these stories originally were ancient stories told around campfires by these peoples from generation to generation. It was thousands of years before the stories began to be written down by the people of God. And so no doubt these two different kinds of versions had circulated for all these years. And ancient peoples, unlike our 21st century mindset, were fine with ambiguity. They didn't care that these stories didn't line up perfectly because the meaning of the stories was what really mattered to them. They weren't so concerned about the form as they were the content of what these stories were telling them about God and were telling them about the human being. So think about in the Bible uh, the way you get all these visions and dreams that say something true but are in themselves not exactly perfectly true, right? Joseph, who has these dreams that are saying something true, but this dream itself is something else. Or, uh, or think about the prophets in Ezekiel, who goes out and looks at the valley of dry bones. Uh, he, it's a vision. It's not he's really in a valley of dry bones. It's representing something true. Or Think about the ways that the Gospels tell the story of Jesus in four different ways. The ancient peoples didn't need to bring them all together into one Gospel to have the right story. They understood that there were different ways of telling these stories, and they still conveyed the meaning, the truth that needed to come through. You see, it doesn't have to be historically true, literally true, to convey what is true. Think about Jesus. Jesus is the master storyteller. All of the time, Jesus says, hey, there was this guy who went out into a field. Now, he isn't saying, you know Bob, who lives about three kilometers outside of Nazareth and has, he has two little houses side by side. You know, his mother-in-law lives in one. You, you know Bob. He's not saying that. He's saying, suppose there was a guy. Because Jesus knows what's important is the message and not the details of how it is conveyed. 
So when again and again we get stories that the truth is in the message, the truth is not in necessarily the historical, literal details of that story. And this is also the case with these stories in Genesis. The ancient people would have known they were true because of what they have to say. They weren't concerned about whether they were literally historically true and all the pieces fit together because they knew what was true about these stories is told by them. So knowing that brings me to this question where we're really wrestling with, well, do we need to hold to just what these creation stories say, or, or is there a place for evolution? And I would begin by saying these creation stories themselves tell us this. We live in an orderly and predictable and reliable universe. God created a universe that follows certain principles. The ancient people knew this. They knew that there would be day and there would be night. They knew that there were seasons that would pass during the year. They knew that tides would go out and tides would come in. Now, they may not have understood a single of the principles at work, but they knew it was an orderly creation, that they could depend on it. You know, that's why when for them something like a solar eclipse would happen, and they would be putting on a sackcloth and ashes because they were terrified that God was punishing them. And then they'd rejoice after praying because it went away. You and I, we know what the principles are that are causing a solar eclipse. And we just put on glasses and stare at it. Isn't that cool? We live in an orderly and reliable and predictable universe. And for that reason, it's quite possible that God can create and then put in place evolutionary principles. Those are not inconsistent with who God is. Does that mean we came out of fish and then sort of evolved or came from apes and then sort of evolved? We, we don't really know. Is it possible? Sure. Could it be something else? Yes. Because there is so much mystery about this universe that we do not understand. We do know that there were earlier human kinds of creatures who were more primitive and physically different from us. But all I have to say to you is, hey, go back 100 years and look at the average height of people in this country and tell me that we haven't evolved as a species. We're taller. Something has changed over time. And so it is that there are these orderly principles, but we don't always understand. We don't have full grasp of how God has created everything. Here's an example. I'm a lowly theologian, all right? So I don't really know anything about physics. But I do know this. Traditional physics from Newton and Einstein has one set of theories that all fits together and explains things really nicely. And in more recent year, quantum physics has one set of theories that explains everything and fits together really nicely, but these two don't fit together. 
Someday they may be able to find a way that these two things fit together, and then I imagine there'll be something else. They're like, oh, but that. Because the fact that we don't understand everything doesn't make it less true. It's still true. We just haven't figured it all out, and we probably never will. I'll give you a more down-to-earth example. Go to a veterinarian and ask them, why do cats purr? Oh, they'll tell you why emotionally cats purr, but they still to this day do not know the physical mechanism that creates the purring sensation. Google it. It's true. We don't know what the physiology is that allows a cat to purr, but I guarantee you cats purr. We don't doubt the truth of the fact that cats purr, even if we don't know exactly how and why that is true. You see, we can't, we have to be careful that our knowledge of how things work isn't the basis for truth. Truth comes in a lot of forms, even when we don't have the complete explanation for it. And therefore, I say again, is it possible for God to create and put in place evolutionary processes? Sure, why not? The fact that we don't understand how that might fit together doesn't make it any less possible or true. Which brings me to a second thing. Some of you may know there are uh, these people uh, who believe in young earth creation. And uh, these are people who are trying to prove that the earth is between 6,000 and 10,000 years old. Because if the earth is between 6 and 10,000 years old, it's going to, to fit with what they see as the biblical narrative. It will prove what they think is uh, said by the biblical narrative. Now, I have to take a step back and ask, why is that important to them? And somehow the conclusion you have to draw is that they somehow think, if I can prove against the science that says the earth is billions of years old, that the earth is only six to 10,000 years old, then I have proven the Bible. I have proven the creation story. I have proven God. And of course, you all recognize, when I say it that way, the fallacy of that. There is no proof of God and the scriptures other than the proof that comes by faith. The whole of the Bible is about faith. I spent many years as a, as a young adult trying to read and think my way to God, and I can guarantee you that you will not get to the depths of relationship with God simply by trying to think your way to God. It's about faith. It's about a relationship. It's about opening up space in our lives to allow the Spirit to be present to, uh, to us and to experience the reality of God. The proof of the biblical text comes in the way we live our lives. It will never come via some kind of scientific evidence. And in fact, I would dare say trying to prove the truth of the Bible, which is not to say there aren't historically true things in it, there are, but to try and prove the whole of the Bible's truth and prove, therefore, the truth of God in some ways, in some ways, is the height 
of arrogance. Which leads me to the third thing, and that is what these creation stories are really trying to tell us. So if you remember, most of us, when we think of the creation stories, we spend a lot of time thinking about chapter 3, what we call the fall. You remember that God has created this beautiful paradise earth. Everything is in right relationship. The people are in relationship with God, all the animals, everything in it. it they, have, they have free will. They can go where they want. They can do what they want. They can eat what they want except for that one tree in the middle of the garden. That's it. That's the only thing in this whole magnificent creation off limits to these people is that one little tree in the middle of the garden, which, as you will remember, is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, hey, you got it all, but leave that alone. Now, we usually read their action and, and understand that they're both there. That man eats that fruit. He doesn't say, honey, God said, no, I'm not eating it. He's like, yeah, give me some. They were both there. They're both culpable. We think of that as disobedience. They disobeyed God. Well, yeah. But the real heart of that story comes when the serpent says, you will be like God. You see, the human tendency for all these wonderful gifts that God has given us in the image of God, the intellect, the ability to move freely, to control other things, the one thing God said is, stay away from this tree where you think you know it all, you can make all the decisions, you have this all. We instead want to step into the center. We want to place ourselves in the center of the garden. We want to be God. We want our desires, our way, our choices, our opinions, our knowledge, our everything to be the center of the universe. And that is the basic human problem that Genesis is putting in front of us. God just asks for this little space and we can't even give God that. We want to be like God. But of course, the Ten Commandments, first one, thou shalt have no other God, even yourself. You see, God has still created the human being with limits. We're creatures. We're not God. We don't know what comes before the beginning. We don't know what comes after the end. Does anyone in here really know what happens when we die? No. Do we know what was before the Big Bang banged bigly? No. We have limits as creatures, and we always are trying to exceed those limits, and know what God knows. And that's the fall. We're not God. 
And so the rest of the Bible continues to remind us God is God and you are not. And unless you can open up this space again at the center of your lives for God to be God, things are not going to go well. It's true again and again in the biblical narrative. Put God, put Jesus at the center of your lives by faith and things will go well. Try and usurp that and be like God. Things won't go well. It's that simple. So it brings me then back to this. Creation or evolution? Yeah, sure, choose. But the meaning of the creation stories is what really matters. And what it says, both of these stories say to us is, God is God, you are creatures. God is God, we are finite. And this journey of faith in this magnificent, orderly, wonderful, mysterious world that God has created is about learning to keep God at the center of our lives. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.